When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I've really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. I wanted to ask Santa to bring me a girlfriend for Christmas. It would take nothing less than a Christmas miracle and flying reindeer to meet a girl out here. I was a seasonal guide at a remote camp next to a glacier in rural Alaska. No road access, a tiny wind generator, an outhouse, and unheated cabins barely bigger than garden sheds. Camp said bullseye at the end of a giant wind tunnel called the Lynn Canal. Not actually a canal, but the longest and deepest fjord in North America. Winters piled enough snow in the mountains to create some of the largest nonpolar ice fields on Earth. Hurricane-force winds regularly tore through the fjord and the Pacific dumped torrential rains, swelling the coastal forest to biblical proportions. I was surrounded by brown bears, moose, wolves, sea lions, wolverines, whales, and ten other men. The Glacier Point Wilderness Safari is a popular remote day tour offered by most cruise ships in Skagway, Alaska. Guests arrived by speedboat and landed on our beach, where we picked them up in dilapidated school buses and drove them through the thick, temperate rainforest to a gear pavilion. If it was raining and the guests didn't have their own, we gave them rubber rain gear. It was always raining, and the guests never had their own gear. Then we walked through the forest to large canoes and paddled across a frigid lake to the Davidson Glacier. In our free time, we hiked the mountains, climbed the glacier, kayaked, fished, and explored. We sat in the community cabin, drank beer, and talked about tourists, women, and how long it had been since our last shower. On our one day off, we usually went into Skagway to mingle with society. The week before, I had gotten a girl's number at the bar and sent her some texts to see if she would go out with me, but she always dodged them. Mostly, though, we ran tours. To work in tourism is to witness the human comedy. Every guide has stories that start with, you'll never believe this. Nowhere, it seems, do people go further from the familiar 
then on cruises to Alaska. Nearly every day, someone stepped off the boat on the ocean and earnestly asked, what's the elevation here? The ships sent us all sorts, and we all paddled. People with heart problems, with walkers, difficulty breathing, no balance, and high heels. People that were morbidly obese. We looked like a retirement home that had started a rowing team. Industrial tourism markets landscape as a product. A cruise ship is a giant floating amusement park. Alaska is as tame and contrived as a television show or a shopping mall. Someone once asked another Glacier Point guide if the canoes ran on underwater tracks. When landscape is a product, then everywhere is anywhere, and so it's nowhere. This is where the guides come in. Our job is to make it somewhere. We have to provide context, stories, knowledge, show them where they are. Are there going to be any shopping opportunities out here? I looked back at the woman swaddled in rubber rain gear and studied her face to see if she was joking. She was not. An older woman with a large blue scarf clung to her arm. Rain pissed down and the muck came up to her ankles. They shuffled around the puddles, even though they were in rubber boots. Finally, we made it to the canoes. It was a small group, 12 people, only two canoes and two guides. Alton gave the standard safety talk. Keep your life jackets buckled, never stand up in the canoe, don't hit anyone with a paddle. Most importantly, don't fall in the water. It's 34 degrees Fahrenheit, you will get hypothermia, and we will have to strip you down and put you in hypo gear. But don't worry, in the 19 years this tour has been running, no one's ever fallen in. Everybody ready for a good time? Guests teetered into canoes. The river and lake were in flood stage, four or five feet higher than normal, and the river swelled into the trees on either side. Basketball-sized chunks of ice floated by. We paddled out of the river and into the expanse of the lake. The huge, white foot of the Davidson Glacier, a thousand feet high, spilled out of the mountains. I started to explain the history of the Pleistocene Ice Age and the discovery of the glacier. The guests interrupted me. Are there any fish in the lake? Where are the bears? Does it ever stop raining? What's the difference between a mountain and a glacier? <sighs> At least they were awake and asking questions. Better than a silent canoe ride. Our usual landing spot was flooded out, so we paddled a winding side passage among berms and islands, normally too shallow for a canoe. Gulls flapped away and arctic terns screeched. Alton and I steered to a silty cove and pulled the guests out onto shore. Normally, we walk a half mile across a gravel moraine to the Davidson, but that would be impossible today. A raging torrent of meltwater poured from a 50-foot ice cave in the face of the glacier. Boulders of ice rolled in the white water. The glacier was the color of blue Kool-Aid. We walked up the moraine alongside the river, trying to herd everyone together. I led the group with a small boy, Sam, and his sister. The girl jabbed at her phone and clucked with irritation. The boy chattered about building glaciers in Minecraft. The river cut a small eddy here, and bits of ice swirled around in it. I fished out some pieces, popped one in my mouth, and passed out the rest. 
The guests laughed and took selfies with pieces of ice hundreds of years old in their mouths. Tastes like dinosaurs, said an older man with curly white hair and a big white beard. He had little half-moon glasses and a big red jacket. I shouted to the group over the roar of the river that we had only five more minutes. We could go as far as the other side of the rock outcropping before we got cut off by the river. If they wanted to go over, they could follow me. If not, they could stay on this side. Alton and I slowly helped the guests over the boulders, even the woman with the blue scarf. Last was the old man in red. He said he wanted to stay on this side. I nodded. We'd be back in a few minutes. The guests gathered by the river's edge, and we snapped photos with their phones. The river churned and billowed. Gusts of frigid air buffeted us. People began to come out of themselves, turn about, mouths agape. Alaska was working its magic. Even the girl looked around, phone by her side. It was almost time to turn around when a guest's eyes widened and he pointed behind me. I spun. Someone was in the river. White hair and half-moon glasses. Instant rescue mode. Man overboard, I shouted, or something like it, and Alton and I raced over the rocks. Oh my god, he's going to be swept downstream and be smashed by icebergs or have a heart attack. The man swirled in the eddy. For a moment, it looked like he might be dragged away. But the tiny eddy whirled back, probably saving his life. The man clawed out of the river as we approached. We pulled him up. He was soaked and mightily embarrassed, saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. But he had already started to shiver. We plied him with questions. He said he was okay, a little cold. His name was John. He'd been picking up pieces of ice when the riverbank just caved in. Alton took him behind a tree to strip down and get in dry hypo gear. I did my best to convince everyone else that this sort of thing happened regularly. When we said no one had fallen in in 19 years, we meant no one had fallen out of a canoe in 19 years. The boy, Sam, stared at me in wonder. That was awesome. I want to be a guide. On the way back, John even laughed about the ordeal, clothed entirely in thick black fleece. The other guests laughed too, took pictures, and ignored the rain. They asked me about the clouds, about the mating rituals of bald eagles, and about the Pleistocene Ice Age. Glacier Point was somewhere to them now, a place on the map that they could point to and tell stories about. Like when a stranger on the bus tells you their story and suddenly they become a person. The old woman with the blue scarf came up to me and said that she had always wanted to see Alaska ever since she was a little girl, but never had the time or money until she retired. You're living a beautiful dream. You're very lucky, she said. Yes, I thought. How lucky am I? And how brave is this woman for coming so far out into the wilderness? Her daughter, the one that had asked about shopping, told me they were celebrating her 88th birthday with the cruise. The rest of the family will never believe this, though, she said. Everyone got off the bus and headed back down to the speedboats. John, still in fleece hypo gear and carrying a trash bag full of his wet clothes, shook our hands. 
I'm retired, he said, but every year I still work as Santa Claus around the holidays. He handed us his business card. Slay driver's license, it read. Address, North Pole, weight, jolly, eye color, twinkle. You boys just saved Christmas. That night, I went down to the beach, the only place where there was enough cell service to make a call. I called up the girl and told her the story. You'll never believe this, but... Afterwards, she laughed and said, Hey, I'm free evenings this week if you're in town and want to go get a drink. Maybe I wouldn't need reindeer after all. I'm Joe Altman Moore, and this is my show. This Diaries is made possible by the good people of Patagonia. They recently released a revised edition of Simple Fly Fishing. Yvonne Chouinard and noted fly fisherman Moro Mazo and Craig Matthews show that back to basics can be the most effective way to catch trout. The book has been updated with the latest techniques, flies, stories, and new photographs and drawings. Find it and other books published by Patagonia at patagonia.com. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks. Winter may be here, but that doesn't mean it's time for you to close up your rack. Get some lights and extend the season. That's what I've done. Kuat's platform racks and roof racks make it easier to get out of the city. Kuat, because you love your bike. And support comes from Voss and Brewing, who have something on tap just about every night of the week. From Tabletop Tuesday to yoga and live music, they have you covered with tasty beers and community events. Stop by the Richmond Brewery or follow Vossen on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you, Joe, for sharing your story. Joe currently lives in Haynes, Alaska, just across the fjord from Glacier Point, works as a bicycle guide, and writes a whole bunch. If you want to see some photos and a little bit of extra on the story, follow us on Instagram, dirtbag underscore diaries. We have photos of Joe and his Alaskan adventures. We also have some pretty sweet bear cub photos from the Endangered Spaces episode that we did last week. Music today by Evan Schaefer, Little Glass Men, Canyon Kids, Kai Angle, and Fog Lake. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song, and you can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Jen Altschul and Becca Cahal. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.